Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody and welcome to a new Industry Night on Real Fun DC. I am your host Nikki Nellis. Thanks so much for joining me. A quick intro if it's your first time tuning in. So I've been covering the DC food and wine scene for the last 18 years. You may have heard my husband David and I on Foodie and the Beast every Sunday, 12 years and running on 1500. Of course I do regular roundups on WTOP radio and trend reports if you're looking for the latest and greatest. I hope you're following me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And where you should really be following the mo- me the most is on the list, are you on it? Com. Uh, that's what launched my whole career. It's an online e-zine that covers every food and wine event going on in the DC hospitality area. So here are some of the things you'll find in there. Of course, every food and wine event happening in the DC metro area is in the calendar. But as you know, spring is here and outdoor activations are popping up like daffodils all over the area. There are blossoms at Hook Hall. There is cherry blossom art all over Adams Morgan and Book Hall right above uh, Georgetown has an amazing in bloom experience. Now the Nats were supposed to play ball today. Eventually they will actually be playing ball, but it is no longer just peanuts and popcorn and hot dogs at the stadium. Uh, There's a whole new offering of concessions from some of your favorite local restaurants. We have the whole listing on the site. And as I say on every single show, while there is a light at the end of the tunnel for this pandemic, it is still affecting every small independent restaurant in this city and local retail as well. So if you can, Please do what you can to support your area restaurants. It's really easy. You can do takeout, you can do dine-in, you can eat outside, you can do gift cards. Uh, As I say on every show, my neighborhood gets together once a month and we do a grab bag with area restaurant gift cards. You can also arrange neighborhood drops, which have been really successful. Or I will give you a little thing that I do. Um, Whenever I'm going downtown, because I live in Kensington, I alert like 10 of my neighbors that where I'm going and when I'm going and uh, suggest that they order too. And then I play um, I play Uber Eats and I pick up everybody's orders for them. So lots of terrific ways that you can engage your neighbors and also help support area restaurants. Okay, onto the show. So later in the show, I talk with uh, Reiko Hirai and she and I were introduced a few months back when the Cherry Blossom Festival planning was ramping up. And She is involved in a variety of super cool projects around the city, but what is most exciting is the launch of her DC Saki Co, which, um, by the way, she started during the pandemic, which is an amazing endeavor. So she's looking to connect with Saki lovers and educate the naysayers. Um, And I just want to say for the record, after having talked with Reiko so much, because she was on Foodie and the Beast, You know, sake can and should be served with a variety of cuisines, not just sushi. So I think sake may be the new summer rosé. We're going to find out later in the show. But first, Danny Lee. So Danny Lee is a longtime friend. He's a chef and owner of some of DC's most beloved restaurants, Mandu, Chaiko, Anju. And he has always been 
an outspoken ally. He has participated every year in Chess for Equality, uh, which stands uh, you know, up for LBGTQ rights or Black Lives Matters, or donating his time and quite frankly, his restaurants, time and food uh, to the bazillion of charity events that used to happen all over the city. But now it's time to support Danny and all Asian American and Pacific Islanders against the incredible racism that quite frankly has been going on for a very long time and it's not abating. Um, but it's getting worse. Um, and Danny is hosting a huge event, which he's going to tell us about. But Danny, thank you so much for joining me today. It's nice to see your face. Oh, thanks for having me. It's uh, good to see you both. And again, thanks for um, uh, including me in this conversation today. Absolutely. Well, so I wanted to talk to you because I think for a lot of, you know, Caucasian people, maybe we weren't really aware of the racism against Asian Americans that was happening all around this country. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your family experience? Yeah, um, you know, my, my parents uh, met actually in graduate school um, in Illinois uh, in the 70s. Um, they were part of kind of the first wave of Koreans that immigrated to the US um, shortly after they were allowed to actually in 1966. So um, I, th I think it was only three or four years after that when they both immigrated. Um, they got married in the Chicago area uh, and then I have an older sister. So before she was born, they moved to the DC area. Um, I was actually born in DC and then raised in Northern Virginia. Uh, my mom always had like little delis and stuff, um, you know, growing up, um, she was always a phenomenal cook. Um, my dad was a, a CPA and had his own little accounting firm. Um, you know, I was raised in a very, um, you know, white area, white neighborhood, white school. So um, there weren't many Asians back then. But, you know, uh, looking back on it, um, you know, I, I think I was very, uh, you know, my parents wanted me to acclimate, you know, as much as I could to the U.S. And, you know, they moved to the U.S., you know, for what they thought would be a better life, not just for them, but for their family and their kids, you know, their future kids as well. Uh, more opportunity for one. Um, so, you know, I grew up with very few Korean friends, except for the friends I had through church and my relatives that were around, um, living around us this, uh, at the same time. So it wasn't until actually after college, um, well, let me, let me not get ahead of myself. So uh, my father unfortunately passed away when I was in high school. And then my mother needed to find a way to support the family. My sister was in college at the time. I was in high school, about to apply for college. Um, so she opened up uh, a franchise Chinese takeaway at National Airport in 1997 when that new terminal opened. Mm -hmm. um, and through that store, um, she became a very savvy businesswoman, um, a phenomenal professional chef. Can I just interrupt uh, to say yeah. that we all call her Mama Lee. She is everybody's mama. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I feel like by not saying her name, we're, we're keeping her out of it. So Yeah, uh, I think mama I created a monster there because she introduces herself as Mama Lee sometimes now. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. my God. Her name is Yasun Lee. But, yes, you can, she's now known as Mama Lee. Um, but she started to cook Korean food there. This is before the general public really knew much about Korean cuisine. Um, you know, People didn't know what kimchi was. People didn't know what bibimbap was. So uh, we started making bulgogi um, uh, as one of the options. We did bulgogi rice bowls and people loved it, you know, and it got us thinking, 
of eventually opening up a Korean, a family Korean restaurant um, in DC because it was lacking in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how Mandu first started in 2006. Um, and honestly, it was then where I really wanted to connect with my heritage. You know, I was like, you know, if I'm going to own the district's first, you know, full service Korean restaurant, I really got to brush up on, you know, what it means to be Korean, what it means to be an Asian American, you know, mm. um, in this space and to do it right, but also to do it genuinely, you know, and um, in order to do that, you know, you have to really do some research, you have to experience, you got to ask questions. Um, and ever since then, you know, it's kind of been my um, personal goal to um, constantly learn and constantly research as much as I can about not just the Korean um, culture and history, um, specifically through food, but also more of the social dynamics. And um, I'm also very conscious and um, aware of you know, kind of our space in America and, and how that goes. Well, did you, were you or your family members, was it sort of this unsaid thing in your family about any sort of specific racism? Were you aware of it? Or do you look back and see it? Because I mean, I'm oh, Jewish, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I'm Jewish and I, if you asked me when I was in high school, if I dealt with any anti-Semitism, I would have been like, no, not at all. But now I look back on some experiences and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, that definitely happened. But, you know, I, it's only in hindsight that I really sort of recognize what was being sort of thrown at me. Do you sort of have that same experience? Yeah, you know, growing up, especially like, you know, uh, uh, growing up in like Little League and like soccer leagues and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. you, you hear. Um, and, and what screwed up is that back then it was kind of normal right like you know you you heard you know um the everything from like the basic you know ching chang chong you know to people putting their index fingers on their eyes and you know flattening them um uh you know it 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 was very common right Mm -hmm. and you know we would say something back and be like stop it you know but it was just it was unfortunately kind of part of the culture back then you know this is also when people still use the term oriental you know Uh, i don't think people realize that that term there wasn't really a movement to get rid of that term until the 80s you know like right it it was it's it's uh it's still kind of a new concept not to use that term um and looking back you know of course i i think of instances uh either generally or specifically that um were racist and uh, that I kind of just glided through um, because I was raised to just be quiet and acclimate and um, work my way through the American society to be successful, right? Not to cause a stir, you know? Okay. Um, like I remember my dad had a story when he got pulled over for like, I think he had a headlight out or something. And, you know, he was, you know, sitting in his driver's seat, rolled out his window and the cops like, sees that he's Asian and was, you know, talking to him. My dad was nervous. So he was reaching for his one. He was like, do you speak English? You know, and I was just like, and he was so pissed off by that. You know, he I bet like, he was, you know, he's like, I've been living here for 30 years. You know, I'm an American taxpayer. I'm an American business. Like, you know, who are you to just assume I can't, you know, and looking back on the first few days of Mandu, you know, 2006, again, not many people knew Korean cuisine, especially not in the 
atmosphere that we were serving it in, right? Like, you know, we had a bar, you know, we had kind of a modern design. We were in the city, you know, we had- Just for people to know where the original Mandu was, I know where it was because it was around the corner from my uh, first apartment in DC. It was around the corner from 18th and T, yeah. um, right near Laurel Plaza. And it was a super like beautiful restaurant. You know, it wasn't some, I appreciate what you're saying. You're like, it's not like, you know, place in a strip mall or something like that not that you can't get great food there but you were serving it in an upscale environment yeah and, and just uh yeah in, in a in a in a different environment than you know traditional asian cuisine had ever really been served in before mm -hmm. uh, at least in this area and mm -hmm. um but even with that you know we would have looking back on it you know we'd have non-asian guests come in and especially it was like happened to be an asian host or myself at the door they would like you know use wild hand gestures and be like, oh, can I see the menu? And say <laughs> menu really slowly with those two syllables. You know, I was just like, oh my God. I was like, oh, you mean this menu? Like, here you go, man. thank you. Oh my God. And, but, but so subtle, you know, uh, you know what everyone calls them microaggressions that you, that build up and build up and build up over decades, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're starting to see that accumulate and manifest itself now with the frustration that's been building up in the Asian American community for generations, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and now you're seeing it boil over and you're seeing us, some of us uh, be vocal and stand up for ourselves um, and say enough. Well, my dog is barking in the background because she supports you, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I want to, to that point, so now we're here a year after the pandemic. I mean, we had, you know, a leader, if you want to call him that, you know, saying just absolutely terrible things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was kind of trying to make it about China, but it's affecting the entire Asian community. So how do allies help? How do people, how do we allow you? I think I said this to you before. How do we, how do, how do we step back let you take the soapbox, but still support you in, in, in you know, getting rid of the racism that is out there. What are the best steps to take in your mind? You know, I've been getting a lot of uh, messages and texts and calls from um, leaders in my industry, the restaurant industry, you know, seeing what they can do to help, uh, specifically from non-Asians. Um, number one, they want to show the support, but number two, a lot of them ask a very simple question, which I kind of laugh at because, you know, I'm not kidding. It would, the, the question to me will be, how do I end racism? I'm like, if I had that answer, I would win a Nobel Peace Prize. You know, like I, there's no way I can answer that question. Mm -hmm. What I do tell them is it all starts with conversation. You know, um, I find it very helpful to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with someone who, who's asking about that, right? And just to be like, you know, this is what's going on. Here's kind of like a quick synopsis or background of, of what's happening, you know, if you weren't aware. Um, but number two, I tell them to have conversations with their staff, with their management team, with their hourly staff, right? Of, of what's happening in the world, the um, dangers of systemic racism, of bias, of prejudice. Because um, it, it not only affects their guest interaction, but it can affect their individual staff, right? If you have a staff that is heavily staffed by members of the BIPOC community, mm -hmm. 
you need to give them a voice and platform to be heard so that they are in a position that they feel comfortable to work in, right? And if the leadership is uh, not cognizant of that, then then you can then you're going to have some issues, you know. And I feel it's really important just to have these individual conversations in the hopes that people pay it forward, right? In the hopes that you can have a talk with someone, educate someone about a topic. That person has then the ammo to then talk to their inner circle, right? And so on and so forth. Um, another uh, um, resource I think is just reading, you know, like literally doing Google searches of um, simple Google searches, stop Asian hate. You'll see tons uh -huh. of resources that pop up, right? You'll see tons of resources on social media of different cards of where to go that literally list where to go. I have a high school friend who's a uh, white female, one of my great friends from high school and college who uh -huh. messaged me because she saw one of the resources we posted and she actually took a bystander intervention course, you know, um, virtual, uh, which warmed my heart, right? I was like, you are actually not just posting a performative post on your social media page that and then you're doing the work, comments, you're actually doing the work to inform yourself in a positive way, right? And then she posted that to her followers, right? And said, this okay. is what I just did. I implore you to the same it was very valuable, you know? And that's the biggest key to this, I believe, is sure, you know, I, I'm being very vocal right now to just bring awareness to it. And I, and I hope that other people um, continue posting and continue using their platforms to bring awareness to this very serious issue, right? But nothing's going to happen if it's just social media posts, right? There needs to be follow through. There needs to be actual work um, that is done to not just better yourself, but better the people around you, you know, and mm -hmm. everyone has that mentality, like no one can fix this problem by themselves. But if more and more people are taking the effort to not only educate themselves, but making the effort to connect to their inner circle, you know, I really believe then we can make some, some substantial change. Um, and there are numerous ways to do that, but it starts with just basic human interaction. I think um, education, educating yourself, obviously is so important. And if there are people around you that you can educate to, you're 100% right. I, I love to me, you know, if, it's so important what happens in a, a restaurant culture and uh, giving your employees, uh, first of all, your support, but also a platform and ed educating everybody in there because I don't know how else we all get along. Um, but I, I greatly appreciate all of your insights. And I want to talk about the event you're doing because you're doing a, a huge fundraiser. Um, can you tell everybody about it? Yeah, and you're doing it with Embrace Race, which yeah, is a really so, interesting organization. So this actually ties educational aspect of what I'm just talking about. So mm -hmm. um, Embrace Race is an organization um, founded by a mixed race couple, actually, that strives to combat racism in all forms by educating young children. Right, okay. so they provide resources to school districts, educators, parents, counselors, um, with resources and tools to have these conversations with young children, so that they don't grow up with that base knowledge 
and get thrown into society where there's a lot of systemic racism and bias that's ingrained in our culture and they grow up having these prejudices in them right so this group strives to combat that by teaching the teachers you know <laughs> by providing teachers better tools to approach these topics with young children so i thought it was very important to um choose an organization that um was addressing more of the cause of racism rather than treating assist the symptoms of it after the fact okay. um and what better way to do that than trying to instill better values in the next generation right that are going to be our future leaders here you know i I completely applaud that. We have about a minute left. Can you just yeah. tell us quickly how people can get in on is it yeah. sold so out? So right now, unfortunately, the the, the dinner sold out amazingly fast. Um mm -hmm. is still at 25% capacity. So hopefully um by the time of the dinner, which will be April 21st, a Wednesday, um DC will increase capacity and we can do a few more seats. If it's a nice day, we will take people off the wait list and um open up the patio seats. But instead oh. We can also make donations, right? We yeah, can you can also donations. make donations by, if you visit our website, anjurestaurant.com, there's a tab for the Embrace Race Center, and there's a mm -hmm. donate button on that page where you can donate directly to Embrace Race. Excellent. Okay, tell everybody where we can find that, please. Uh, once again, it's at www.anjurestaurant.com, Anju spelled A-N-J-U. Excellent. Danny Lee, I can't thank you enough for joining me today and sharing your story with us. And um, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. This is Nikki Nellis. It's Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Up next, is Saki your new rosé? It might be this summer. We'll be back in just a sec. It's Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. This is Nikki Nellis. Uh, please follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you know you can subscribe. Just go and click that button and you can hear every episode of Industry Night here on Real Fun DC. Okay, so joining me now is Rico. Hirai, she has started uh, a sake business, DC Sake Co., but she's got her fingers in lots of pots. And I don't know why she decided to launch her sake business in the middle of the pandemic, but she did. And I do think it's sort of right place, right time. So uh, Reiko, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your background and what you do yes. here in DC and how you decided to launch a sake business <laughs> yeah so to to get to the launch of the sake business i i cannot not talk about my other business that i've been doing for the last i think 15 plus years so um i have an event production company that we work with uh, japan related organizations or japanese companies to promote uh japanese content and uh, so we work uh, really closely with the National Cherry Blossom Festivals and Embassy of Japan and Japan American Society, all Japan, Japan uh, organizations. And uh, so it was through working through those organizations uh, with the content uh, that I started to promote sake. So it started out uh, just as soon as I started the company, so 15 plus years ago. 
Mm -hmm. And I was doing like a small sake tasting event to like a Washingtonian has a huge, you know, uh, event, um, used to have an event. And that's, um, we used to promote sake there. And back then I saw that people were very scared of sake. Uh, they had some uh, college uh, sake bomb experience that couldn't wake, wake up for two right. nights. <laughs> so, uh, so people, as soon as I said, hey, would you like to try some sake? People would just say like, oh, no, no, no. I graduated sake a long time ago. And I was like, no, no, don't ever graduate sake, right? But um, wait, can we back up? What is a sure. sake bomb? I feel like I missed that in college. Oh, what really? Yeah, what is a <laughs> okay. sake bomb? Okay, so so the sake, you know, people, probably most of the people know, knew sake back then from the, uh, it's, a, it's a clear drink that you drink out of the white small cup in the Japanese restaurant and has some mm -hmm. alcohol in it. So people would put the, um, beer pint glass and then put the two chopsticks you know like put on the lid like on the cross uh -huh. and then you put the sake we call it a shot glass i guess and then you put it on there you bang the table did the and then you oh and then you drink it oh yeah but okay. i you know but i i have to say i learned about sake bomb after i come to the united states you know there's no such a sake bomb in japan so it was a yeah but anyway, no, so that sounds had, like uh, that sounds like an American concept. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> totally with you on that. <laughs> yeah. So so I learned that's around the time that I learned about the sake bomb too. So people, I start to realize that okay, people's not having a good time with the sake. So but then when people tried sake, it's a premium sake. So just try it. Don't be afraid. Just try it. And then once they tried it. I loved, used to love seeing people's eyes just brightens up and say, oh my God, this is so good. And then people would, you know, follow with the very common question Then I started to get this a lot. Then the question was, where can I get it? Mm -hmm. And we didn't have an answer. We, you know, there were some, you know, Japanese great restaurants that carried, you know, some lines of sake and they were wonderful, but there was no place that you can actually purchase it and drink it at home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, some of the sake that we're promoting, not necessarily every restaurant had it. So, you know, I was, people were, people from Japan were spending so much money promoting this sake, but then there was no place to buy. So mm -hmm. I, this, every time I start to ask, get this question asked, I start to get really frustrated it and was so worried, you know? And so, um, so one day, to make a long story short, uh, in 2019, I did a little test uh, restaurant event, pairing dinner with uh, sake. And it was a good price point. It was a fairly good price point, but it sold out two, mm. two sessions in one night. So I said, okay, DC is ready. So that's when I decided to open the sake shop in 2020. So we we didn't plan to open uh, during, <laughs> during the during pandemic, the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> but it just so happened. And then the people were used to purchasing online at that point when the June happened. So mm -hmm. um, it actually helped me um, that people were used to it. Yeah. 
So, well, let's talk about sort of the intricacies of sake because you, you refer to it as premium sake. Is there a non-premium sake? Like what are, what, what are the gradations of sake? And sure. while we were on break, I mentioned hot sake mm -hmm. um, because, <laughs> uh, you know, my introduction to sake was the hot sake that you got at a Japanese restaurant or with sushi. And um, I, I always liked it, but then I was told that it wasn't, that it was junk, that like you were just <laughs> like, they heated up sake that was junk sake and that like you mm -hmm. really shouldn't be drinking it. But now you're telling me that whoever told me that was wrong. So what's what's the gradation <laughs> of sake? Explain it to me. Yeah, so there's definitely um, uh, premium sake where there's no, uh, it, it, it's it's really brewed, handcrafted, you know, versus it's more of a mass production, uh, more of it's uh, it's it's made to last. It's made to um, uh, preserve a long time and in the restaurant situation. And they they would uh, sell it in more of a like one point eight liter uh, barrel, and then you know restaurant would just Put it on the heater and then just serve it hot you know mm -hmm. um versus there are uh, premium sake that you know microbrewery sake breweries will create uh and so people were um used to this sort of uh mass produced sake that's that was mm -hmm. the first one that introduced now it i'm not saying it's a bad sake um, it is, you know, it's a different kind of sake, but mm -hmm. um, it, it's some additional things are added in there that it will maybe give you more headache than the um, the others. Yeah. Right. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the making of sake because it's yeah. called a wine. Uh, so with traditional grape produced wines uh, or ciders, even, you know, there's a lot of discussion of terroir and uh, where uh, the kinds of grapes, does that apply to, to sake, which is made from rice? I mean, are there different kinds of rices for a sake and does that create different, and how is it, how is it put, how is it made? How do, how, what's the process? Yeah, so, so I have to tell you, I am, I'm a student myself still in mm -hmm. terms of a making of the sake, uh, but I do know that uh, sake is, you know, categorized as wine, but it's more made more like a beer. So uh, it's a, um, it is, uh, it's a very uh, different uh, process of making, but I'm not going to go in too much about the brewing process because mm -hmm. I I am dying to go back to Japan after this pandemic myself and visit the sake breweries. Right. But but is, uh, the one big thing about difference between the wine and sake is that you know uh, the sake is rice, wine is terroir is more the grape that is you know grown in that region, mm -hmm. but the rice is uh, for sake more of the water is more uh, come to the base. And also it has to do with the, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, I know in Japanese, but it doesn't come up, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of element added into it, but who makes the, uh, 
the character is actually the brew master, the Toji. Uh, the mm -hmm. person is called Toji. He is the uh, the sort of the the taste maker for mm -hmm. the sake. Yeah. Well, so if you're ordering sake, um, or let's back up. If mm -hmm. you're if I'm getting in touch with you and I need a sake education, like let's for people who've never tasted sake or maybe mm -hmm. have a think it's sweet or, or whatever the false perceptions are. What are the different kinds of sakis that people can try and how would you recommend mm -hmm. a, a, a beginner? How would you recommend that a beginner try a sake and how as your as your taste profile, you know, as your palate, you know, gets mm -hmm. educated, you can handle greater variations. So mm -hmm. what's your recommendation on that? Yeah, so um, so there are, um, uh, so the one thing about the sake is that people with wine, you know, a lot of people, maybe 40 years ago, it was different, it was red or white, you know, but then uh, now people know red, okay, there's a heavier taste, lighter taste, same thing for the white. Now sake is still uh, cold or white. I, uh, cold or hot, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and it's starting to change, but it's it's still a beginning. So people, a lot of people like you, uh, you asked me, like uh, people have hard time even expressing what kind of sake you should drink first. Like mm -hmm. just there's no, um, so, but for the people who uh, are, approaching the sake my sake show for the first time I would ask them do you are you more of, of a red wine drinker or a white wine drinker and mm. or if they enjoy both then I do have sort of a, a, a pleasant aroma a clean sake that categories of that sort of a sake that I would first recommend and then there once you start to get to know sake there are uh, so many flavor profiles that uh, go, you know uh, that sake it's a really amazing how much just this rice and water beverage can bring out to the table but well, if I'm, you're yeah i'm going to take a quick break there and okay. then when we come back let's talk about all the ways you can help people uh get access to sake and sort of the classes you're doing and what's happening with the Cherry Blossom Festival. I feel like we have so much more to discuss. So very quickly, this is Nikki Nellis on Real Fun DC at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. When we come back, more sake. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. <sighs> Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis. Thanks so much for joining us. So earlier in the show, uh, I did talk with Danny Lee about his uh, amazing event that he is uh, doing to uh, raise funds to stop hate against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. It was an incredible conversation. If you missed it, please uh, rewind so you can take a listen to it because it's uh, it was a very enlightening conversation. But now we're talking about sake and um, uh, Reiko Hirai is with me. She started her own company. I mean, she's been on the DC scene for a long time, but she has her DC Sake Co. And she's really giving me an education on sake. I actually like sake, 
but I don't think to order it. Um, and it's a little chicken and egg, right? Because it's not, it's in every Japanese restaurant, but it's not in a lot of restaurants. And um, Rika was really looking to change that conversation because it is a beverage that goes well with almost any cuisine. Am I, am I wrong? You are absolutely correct. So for people like where would you, if I was having sake at home, let's say, what would you recommend? You know, it's a, hopefully it's getting warmer soon. It's not too warm today, but maybe by next week, uh, you know, spring is coming, you know, DC, I don't know if you know this, but DC drinks more rosé, French rosé than any other place in the country. We drink more rosé here. So huh. as a rosé drinker, I think I help with those numbers. As a rosé <laughs> drinker, what would you recommend? Like if I'm sitting out back and I'm having people over and we're just doing like cheeses and, mm -hmm. um, you know, charcuterie and little, you know, snacks, um, what would your recommendation be? Like how does sake fit into that moment? Yeah, so sake would be pleasantly, uh, will pleasantly surprise you with its flavor profile. If you're explaining to me like that, I know exactly which sake that I will bring. If you invite me to your home, then mm -hmm. exactly I know which one, which sake to bring. Uh, and it's, uh, it will be a very cleaner side with a, a, a beautiful aroma. And one thing about sake, um, it's a, a little different from wine, is that wine tends to cleanse your palate. Uh, so you eat the cheese and then you drink wine and it, it resets your tongue and then you eat the cheese. It's like, you know, vice versa. Mm -hmm. But sake, uh, sometimes people enjoy to add to the flavor. So when you drink uh, cheese, when you eat cheese and uh, drink sake on top of that, uh, it's almost like a cooking in your mouth. It's playing around with the flavor and it mm. really sort of... Um, uh, adds to the flavor. Some, some, some say that they will bring more flavor of the cheese. Uh, it has to do with the way that it, the sake is made. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it, it, it will be, it's coming to, if you are a rosé lover, um, there is a rosé sake uh, that is colored nice and pink. So mm -hmm. if you are used to um, drinking rosé wine, you might be pleasantly surprised, but probably surprised in a good way. Um, mm -hmm. it, yeah, so it, I would definitely uh, uh, introduce that to you for sure. And then are there um, sparkling sake? Oh yes, that's a, uh, actually a Japan decided to, uh, so you know, Japan has an embassy all over the world, of course, mm -hmm. and um, they noticed that uh, they were toasting with the sparkling wine, like mm -hmm. maybe French French sparkling. But then they're in the embassy uh, and they're officially toasting. But sake, you know, like I said, they are made like a brew, uh, a beer that mm -hmm. they can also carbonate on its own. And mm -hmm. uh, so they are actually making the awazake, the, the sparkling sake in the same way that they make a champagne. So they put it in the bottle and, you know, but the one thing, big thing, uh, difference with the champagne is that they don't add the sugar. They don't have mm -hmm. to add the sugar because the rice has its own 
sugar that gets created in the fermentation process. So right from the starch. Much, yeah. So it's mm -hmm. uh, actually a lot lower calorie, and um, um, and it's it's very. Uh, uh, some of the sparkling wines are uh, very dry, and it mm. actually comes in a champagne bottle. Like you pop open, like right. <laughs> You know, I have to be honest with you. Um, you just, my like marketing hat just went on. If you market that sparkling sake is lower in calories, people will drink it. Like, why do you really? think they drink those hard seltzers? Yeah, everybody's drinking those hard <laughs> seltzers. I mean, I don't drink those hard seltzers, but uh, lots of people drink those hard seltzers because they're so mm. low in calories. So, oh, there's so much, yeah, so much. Uh, yeah, wine, wine, uh, like sake really doesn't use any sugar. So sake in general are it's a low calorie, calorie drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So let's just talk quickly about your business because yes. what are you, you're doing classes, you're doing education. Like tell us how we, the lay people interact with DC Sake Co. Yeah, so, so this actually not really a class because I'm, like I said, I'm learning myself still. Right. <laughs> I'm a student still, but uh, I noticed that I know a little bit more than the uh, people uh, just starting to know about sake. So mm -hmm. actually it just kind of accidentally happened that one of my customers said, hey, can you talk a little bit about sake for the group of friends that I have? And I was like, sure, sure, sure. So I. I was so nervous, put together my own sort of a presentations and things like that. And they actually loved it. And so the, her friend wanted to introduce me to the different group and then the, to the different group and to the different group. So now I, um, I don't charge for my time because I, <laughs> I am not the professional teacher, but if they can, you know, put together. We're, we're going to, we're going to talk after the show about that. You definitely should be charging for your time, but go ahead. <laughs> but it's it's really uh, it's a really basic thing that I want people to know. For, it's really for the people who have, you know, just a memory of that sake bomb, maybe, or simply want to, you know, know a little bit more really what sake is, or just mm -hmm. you know, um, just really um, for people go to the restaurant and they want to order sake, but these foreign language names and this and that it doesn't make sense and really doesn't know what what am I looking for like what am I ordering kind of thing so mm -hmm. for those who are in that level then let me know and I can tell you the real real basic so that you can start enjoying sake you know with uh with the in the when they go out for the restaurant mm -hmm. or from my place right so we can order sake from you, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And that's on your website. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, are you planning on doing a brick and mortar? Are you planning on having a shop? I am not there, Nikki. I just opened. Nine I know. Months ago. I know. I'm just asking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, definitely. But uh, I do kind of like this uh, floating around situation for now. Uh, mm -hmm. That I but I do want to do borrow people's brick and mortar and then talk about the sake pops. like like yeah like pop-ups or or even visit the some of the amazing amazing chefs that dc has to offer i i would love to do a, a different pairings for italian chef indian chef mexican food chef i mean the sake would go 
with so many different kinds of food that mm-hmm. um, I think uh, I think I would love to try to collaborate and create the sake community. I love that. Okay, um, Reiko, thank you so much for joining me today. This was so educational and, um, and so exciting. Tell everybody where they can find you, please, both uh, on Instagram and or socially and online. Sure. Uh, so online is www.dcsake.com, S-A-K-E.com. <laughs> and then Instagram is uh, at Mark DC Sake, same for the uh, Facebook and mm-hmm. the Twitter is DC underline Sake. Okay, great. Thank you so much for and joining us. And yes. I am on the clubhouse. Oh, I am too. My last show, we <laughs> yeah, did a whole thing about Clubhouse. Oh I yeah, you were it. on Foodie and the Beast when she was on. Well, I did a, I did another industry night with her and brought oh. her on. We did a whole long conversation. It's fascinating. I'm mm. on, but I'm still ambivalent. Okay. <laughs> Reiko Hirai of Sake, DC Sake. You need to check out what she's doing. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, that was certainly interesting. And if you are not trying sake, you certainly should be because it is delicious. It is lower in calorie and there are so many incredible varieties from rosé to sparkling. Uh, And also something that Reiko told me uh, before the show is that there are a lot of women producers of sake. So lots of ways to support. Uh, So I want to thank you all for joining me today on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Uh, We did have some amazing conversations again. Thank you again to Danny Lee uh, for sharing his story and for his um, taking on the fight against racism, uh, not just against the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities, but for everybody. And uh, I do hope that you will donate to his cause and and join in on the fight and to uh, Reiko Hirai of DC Sake for that incredibly, that incredible education on sake and what you should be drinking now and going forward. And thank you too for joining me, Nikki Nellis on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. As always, there does seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel of this pandemic. We're close. If you haven't been vaccinated, please get your appointment and do so ASAP. And if you are vaccinated, you still need to mask up and you still need to hand sanitize. So everybody, thank you. Uh, Be safe. And we'll see you again here next week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC.